Hey, it's Nick Walters again with the Industrial Hemp Growers Digest podcast, our podcast brought to you by the National Hemp Growers Cooperative. And we are always uh, super glad to be able to have some conversation and dialogue within the legal space of what it means to be in the hemp industry. And we have uh, relied so heavily uh, and uh, rightfully so with our friends, uh, Whit Steinecker and Hunter Robinson with the Bradley Law Firm with their Cannabis Working Group. And we're glad to have y'all back yet again for us to continue to have legal conversations. Thanks for joining us back again. Glad to be here. You know, it's kind of like the funeral business, you know, it never goes away, right? The legal updates, the legal insights of what's going on. There's always a market for it, right? There's nobody going to stop uh, uh, talking legalities as it relates to as it relates to things with hemp and cannabis and the, the whole space right there. So, um, well, we might need to, we'll workshop that with our marketing department, but yeah, um, but yeah <laughs> you're, on, you're on to it. Feel free to jump on in there. <laughs> All right. So, look, I think well, obviously some of the biggest news that we've had within the within the space has been the president's um, uh, uh, actions on um, on the on the uh, let's just call it the Marijuana Forgiveness Act uh, uh, or edict, uh, whichever way we want to be able to call it. That's probably a way too loose of a term. But uh, dig into that for those of us that maybe just picked up a snippet of it or two. What really took place with the president's action? I mean, what what did that accomplish? What did that do? And then let's talk a little bit more about how we think that might impact um, the industry. Hunter, you want me to real quick set the stage, then you can kind of put the nuts and bolts to it. Sure. So I I think it's been, I mean, it's hugely con- consequential. Um, symbolically if, if if nothing else and and here here's at least one reason why um there were a lot of people who were very hopeful that uh you know, approximately you know almost two years ago now it's hard to believe when a uh democratic uh house and senate and president took power that there would be some sort of accelerated uh cannabis and specifically marijuana reform and I think most people who really studied the issue, and we were writing about it at the time, knew that uh, Biden was probably the least progressive of the Democratic contenders on that issue. Mm-hmm. And frankly, uh, the vice president was might have been second least, uh, just given her background in law, law enforcement as a, um, as a prosecutor. Um, but nonetheless, I think there was generally uh, pretty widespread optimism throughout the industry, and, and there really has not been much change at all uh, since the election. And uh, to some extent, no news is good news because people were able to go about continuing to do their business. But for people who are looking for, for progress or for um, you know, codification of a, a sort of existing liberal uh, liberalized policies not only in a partisan way but you know no, right. the liberalizing of the policy um they've been pretty disappointed in the administration and so that takes you to the announcement from about a week ago and hunter if you want to talk about sort of what specifically it was and we can talk about its impact 
Sure. So Biden announced uh, three things, kind of two of which are, are, are related. Um, so Biden is partner, pardoning uh, all that have been uh, charged with simple marijuana possession at the federal level. Um, that is, you know, a, a social equity piece that that many in the industry have wanted for a while. Um, it is under-inclusive in a lot of ways because there's not many people charged with simple marijuana possession. There's normally, you know, other, other charges along with it. And for, I mean, a decade now, at least, um, the federal government hasn't really been going after people for simple marijuana possession. You know, they may be going after traffickers, that kind of thing, people operating illegally outside of state legal markets. Um, so it was a pretty narrow, um, narrow in effect, although certainly an important kind of signal and, and kind of a, a good news for the industry too. He also called on state uh, governors to do the same thing. That would have a much broader effect because there has been many states that have been you know, prosecuting people for simple marijuana possession. Um, but that is up to the governors. I mean, Biden's uh, announcement certainly may encourage those, especially on the Democratic side, to take action, um, but it is in no way binding. Uh, the most important piece for the industry, um, especially the cannabis industry, but as we'll talk about later, the, the hemp industry as well, is that he called on the Secretary of Health and Human Services to uh, review the scheduling of marijuana under the Controlled Substances Act. I think most, if not all, uh, listening to this podcast know that marijuana is currently a Schedule One drug, along with heroin um, and other, you know, I think most people would agree, very much more serious drugs. Um, Schedule One is drugs that have no medical use and a high risk for addiction. Um, marijuana has not really, I, I don't think, fit on that schedule in a, a long time. And I think there's kind of broad support for that notion. Um, but it is important to note uh, that Biden did not call for necessarily for rescheduling or descheduling. He called for an analysis of the scheduling. Um, Descheduling and rescheduling is an important distinction. So descheduling would take marijuana out of the Controlled Substances Act for, you know, kind of at a high level. Um, and that would essentially leave it up to the states to decide how to regulate it. It would no longer be federally illegal in any way. Um, you know, and in a lot of ways, that is kind of the status quo now. Uh, the federal government has not been interfering in, in state legal marijuana operations for a long time. Um, but the kind of knock on effects that would have throughout other federal laws would be huge. Um, it would take away a lot of the risk of banking cannabis that exists mm -hmm. now because it would no longer be um, sort of per se money laundering to to take deposits from a cannabis company or provide loans uh, to cannabis companies. Uh, it would also uh, the perhaps the biggest practical effect is it would allow marijuana to be sold across state lines. Uh, so the way the cannabis supply chain works now or the marijuana supply chain to draw a little distinction between hemp, um, you know, it is grown in one state and sold in one state. You don't grow it in Colorado to sell it in, you know, Washington because you can't because it's federally illegal. And that has led to um, cannabis being or marijuana being grown in a lot of places that probably aren't the best places to grow marijuana, at least in an outdoor level. Um, so, you know, if you've got uh, descheduling, you would have, you know, just like corn is grown a lot of the times in Iowa, because Iowa is a great place to grow corn. 
uh, you would have cannabis or marijuana being grown in states where it makes the most sense, at least outdoor. You maybe still have your premium products being grown indoor, kind of wherever, because that doesn't really matter. Uh, rescheduling would be much different. Rescheduling would knock marijuana from Schedule 1 down to Schedule 2, Schedule 3, Schedule 4. Um, and that, it is a big question. I would love to hear what thoughts on this of whether that would be a net positive or a net negative for the marijuana industry. Um, you go into the, down to those schedules, you're getting into drug approval processes um, where you know you have to go through the approval process to show that a marijuana product has, you know, uh, is can treat a certain illness. You have to go through all the trials. I mean, the the average cost to get a drug approved is in the hundreds of millions of dollars. So that would be a sea change in the way the marijuana uh, industry operates, and uh, probably not in a way that many current companies could survive. All right. Well, let me ask. Let me make sure before we, we got off into the what level of schedule could be could be piece to be back on the idea of uh, what, what you were saying as far as the <clears throat> federal simple possession right is piece. Is it wasn't it primarily used historically as kind of a way to get your nose in under the tent and be able to maybe get a hold of somebody who you thought was a criminal. If you were in law enforcement or a prosecutor as a way then to, you know, arrest them or put them in because you really thought they were doing all these other things. But I kind of like the Al Capone stuff on on tax, you know, on, right. on uh, 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 not paying his taxes. Right. Yeah. We know you're doing all this bad stuff, Al, and we can't get you on any of that. We sure been trying, but we can get you on tax evasion. And so there's a way. I mean, wasn't it kind of used that way as a kind of a way to get in? But then state laws then became much more stringent or much more apropos maybe and you kind of people got arrested under the state laws instead of the federal laws is that kind of right or kind of i think a lot of it too is i mean the federal government for the most part is going after uh you know they have well, all law enforcement has limited resources but i think the federal government is generally kind of handling more high-level stuff, high-level stuff that goes across state lines. So, yeah, federal, you know, having marijuana for personal use or any marijuana is illegal at the federal level. So if they pull you over, yeah, a federal agent pulls you over, he can arrest you for it. That's not really what they're going after. They're going after the traffickers, at least at the drug level. They're really focused on the traffickers and whatnot, whereas, you know, at the state level, it is more keeping the peace in a city, keeping the peace in a state, and they're going wow. after more just kind of, the full spectrum of fences. Got it. Okay. And they're the ones who are, you know, you may not, you don't see a lot of FBI windbreakers just walking down the street unless you live in Washington, D.C. Right. So it, it, it was often, you know, simple possession was often used as, you know, particularly back when stop and frisk was more widely used as a police tactic. Um, that there'd be some suspicion of um, wrongful behavior. You stop somebody, frisk them, you know, find a little bit of marijuana on them, boom, that's a charge. Um, now, um, that's that's increasingly going away, even at the state and city level. Um, and uh, as, as Hunter pointed out, um, that's not impacted directly by the Biden um, statement because he doesn't have the pardon power over state uh, crimes. Um, but it is 
I, I mean, look, I, I think it's I think it is largely symbolic. Um, certain, it, it, and it's except to those who are you know released from prison. Obviously, it's very real to them. But um, I, I think it is the president of the United States. It could be, it could be viewed in one way as this is him saying marijuana should be legal. It's not exactly what he said, but if you wanted to hear it, hear that, you could you could hear it. Um, you know, he's saying, let's take a look at this and let's, you know, it doesn't seem like it makes sense in its current current form. And, you know, it, it, there's some meaningful social justice portions of it. So there's reasons to applaud if you're in the industry and you're looking for reform. Um, but there's a bunch of work left to do. Mm. And, and I cannot wait to see what role the pharmaceutical companies are going to, and big pharma is going to have in this debate because I think they would just assume marijuana stay exactly where it is. But if it's going to go anywhere, presumably they want it to be uh, something where they can not only be involved, be involved in a big way. Like I've always thought, um, you know, Johnson and Johnson or AstraZeneca or Bayer or Pfizer is going to develop the most bomb marijuana ever. Um, once they're allowed to, they just can't now. So if it's going to be rescheduled, do they want it to be like schedule two or three where they, they're the only ones who can really make it? Uh, or do they want it to be descheduled where anybody can make it and they've got a bunch more competition, but they might also have a bunch more potential patients because there'd be, there wouldn't be prescriptions required for it because if it's, you know, uh, schedule two or three, you've got to get a prescription. So there's all sorts of, interest that'll be uh, at play here and if you follow this closely uh, and and are are some sort of health and human services follower and watcher uh, it'll probably be a pretty gnarly uh, knife fight Um, and I'll be interested uh, interested in watching the play out it's also it could just be an obvious political move by the president Sure. Ahead of, ahead of the midterms. Sure. Look, Could it also case. help the CBD industry, though? I mean, maybe. I'm just we're just running traps in the what ifs here. But but if all of a sudden big pharma start to started to care more and and we're really starting to put energy effort funding influence etc. I mean, I understand that CBD is not you. Don't cure the same stuff with CBD that you do with, you know, that you would would with, with extracts from marijuana. But there's so many similarities in that. If you're looking at the plant itself and cannabis itself is moving forward with that, and you've got somebody other than the 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 good hard work that people like at the U.S. Hemp Roundtable and others are doing to try to move forward on getting, you know, the FDA to pay attention, maybe this is a way to have an extra push. Uh, that you might not be able to get otherwise. I don't know. Just thoughts. Doesn't matter. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, I, you know, it's, it's tough to say. I mean, the FDA has had, you know, jurisdiction over CBD as a drug or CBD as a dietary supplement for a while, and it is still sitting on its hands. I think you could read this Biden announcement as perhaps giving a more more of a push to that. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I do think if there is 
you know, I think there's always going to be different uses for CBD. I mean, there's just a lot of people that are going to want what appears to be, to use safe words, what appears to be the medical benefits of cannabis without getting high. You know, CBD and CBN and all that stuff will always exist for that. Um, but there is more that marijuana appears to be able to do. THC, you know, be able, appears to be able to do from a medical standpoint. And then there's also, of course, adult use, you know, a lot of people just think it feels nice. Right. So I think there's always going to be room for both. I think, you know, you could commit, you could argue both ways very easily, whether this moves the needle really on the CBD kind of drug or dietary supplement. Yeah. yeah just well, more, more momentum behind cannabis generally, but I don't know if it really speeds up that kind of particular lane. Yeah. We'll see. Right. Um, well, 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 let's think about that then as it relates kind of to the hemp market, <clears throat> particularly for folks that are involved in industrial hemp. If I am a, a grower um, and we have things that are either symbolic, depend, again, like you were saying, depending on how I, how I look at what the president did is, is, you know, purely symbolic or whether I see, hey, this is a good signal that things are moving in the right direction. Uh, couple that with states, uh, places that you would think would not be normally really open to medical marijuana, um, like Alabama, like Mississippi, like Arkansas, others that are moving in that direction are there, right, for that. Other states that are starting to become more open to recreational uh, for marijuana. Um, how do you think all of that kind of jives with a... Um, industrial hemp space, particularly for those who have tried to distance themselves from the from the marijuana piece, uh, just because they don't like all the other, you know, I mean, we, we don't from the co-op, we don't, we don't push on anything to do with, with, with growing any of uh, uh, marijuana for medical or for um, uh, recreational just because we're trying to stick to, you know, what the grain and fiber parts of hemp are, and that's our main focus. How do you think all this kind of plays? I mean, um, uh, as, as things start to roll out as far as awareness about what the market would be, about what the legality may be, about help hurt, who knows? That's a loaded question. Okay. Yeah. So I think it's probably all in net positive. Um, the rising tide, the stall boat sort of um, situation. <clears throat> but you really, it's a, it's, a, it's a time to be very thoughtful and strategic because you're going to have some strange bedfellows. And, <clears throat> you know, the hemp industry could it very well be divided into factions quickly. I mean, it already is to some extent. But, you know, you may you want to distance yourself maybe from the you certainly want to distance yourself from the people who are um, who are engaging in you know reckless behavior on the CBD side or you might you might want to disengage from you know the Delta 8 type discussions um, which are a little more rife with potential uh, regulatory risk and political issues uh, and you don't want to fully embrace, you know, the marijuana side because I think that there's political risks there too. Um, and you think, and you've got to be thinking, well, as these 
states are now becoming more sophisticated at regulating marijuana and these state agencies, you know, like the state agriculture departments, for example, uh, are getting good at, or not, maybe not good, but they're getting more experience uh, <clears throat> enforcing and, and investigating marijuana companies. What does that mean for my industrial hemp company? Are they going to are they going to take what has generally been relatively lax rules that have been designed to promote industry and make it harder to do business? Am I, are we all going to get bumped in together and all, am I going to have to start all of a sudden paying, you know, the, the higher taxes that some of the cannabis companies have? Um, I think the answer is probably no, but if you, you know, you'd be well served if you're in the industrial hemp industry to be staying in really close contact with, policymakers and the people who are thinking about these issues and, and distinguishing yourself and showing why it is, you know, what, what it is exactly that you do and the process that you use and maybe more importantly, what you don't do and what your products don't do to people. Um, that's, that's how I view it. So it's, I mean, that's a, there's a lot in there and it could go a lot of different ways and they'll probably go in a bunch of different directions, but Hunter, how do you see it? No, I mean, I, th I agree with everything you said. Um, you know, I know, Nick, we were talking about before we, we started recording about kind of, you know, the keeping businesses separate or if you're doing industrial hemp, you know, how can you do you know, medical cannabis too or adult use cannabis too? Um, I mean, I think it's going to take some time to see how that shakes out. You know, I do, you know, one thing that a lot of the hemp laws are around or kind of structure around now is, is preventing diversion. So you say you're growing hemp, you got to be growing hemp. You can't be growing right. medical or, or adult use as well. You can't be selling marijuana as well. Um, you know, I think that's always going to be, I mean, they're, they're, they sh they'll likely always be regulated separately. I think those walls will always kind of stand. Um, but yeah, I mean, time will tell, uh, you know, descheduling, I think would could, could make those walls a little, a little softer, um, rescheduling, I think would, would, would perhaps make them insignificant because it's just going to be pharmaceutical, you know, mostly pharmaceutical companies at that point, you're not going to have many kind of industrial hemp growers kind of buddied up with, with pharmaceutical companies. Um, so it's interesting. It's, it, I mean, it's interesting questions, you know, I do think, uh, Descheduling or rescheduling would probably have a big impact on kind of the psychoactive hemp industry, um, which could have some knock-on effects too for industrial the industrial hemp side as well. Sure, <clears throat> a free a, a free piece of legal advice. Yes, yeah, sure. <laughs> Excuse me. Sounds like I just um, doing my own uh, marijuana testing right now. Um, <laughs> if if you um, if you do have a hemp company or any company, um, and you are trying to get into the marijuana side, it's extremely important that you keep those separate. Um, you know, you need to form a new company. You need to um, have separate bank accounts. And there's a lot of reasons of why you want to do that, but there are tax implications that are, that are hugely significant. Uh, there's uh, liability uh, in the event that there's some sort of lawsuit or judgment against you. Um, but that's that's one of those areas I, I'm particularly sensitive to it right now because uh, yesterday, as of the day this is being recorded, yesterday was the day 
the date in Alabama by which you had to request an application if you wanted to apply to grow, <clears throat> process, or sell medical cannabis. And so we were having conversations with clients over the past months about how to set up new entities, you know, how they should be formed and structured. And, and, and you know, the, the, the cardinal rule was it's got to be something new and different and totally by itself, self-contained and isolated. Well, without without violating any attorney-client privilege, we certainly wouldn't ask you to do that. But uh, are you finding that some of those, is it trending at all, that some of the folks that were thinking about growing for um, uh, medical were people that have actually been growing for industrial hemp and are wanting to make that move? Or do you, are they more people who are just like, nope, we've been waiting for this day to start, now we're here and we're ready to do what we got to do. Uh, it's a pretty, pretty healthy mix of, yeah. um, of, uh, you know, rich people who think they want to, are going to get a lot richer if they get one of these licenses. Uh -huh. Um, and people who've been in the <clears throat> cannabis industry and, that, and that's really, they view that as their selling point in Alabama, at least there's a, um, competitive licensing process. So one of the ways you could distinguish yourself would be to say, listen, I've grown cannabis. I know it's different, and it's, it's going to be important to, <clears throat> for you to demonstrate how you know that there's a difference between growing industrial hemp and growing medical-grade cannabis. Um, but uh, there's a lot of people, uh, both on the cultivation and also on the dispensing side, because there's a separate dispensing license. And so sure. lots of people who've been operating stores where you can buy uh, hemp-derived cannabis products, um, they feel like they have a, a leg up uh, from a real estate perspective and an experience perspective, and they get to say, listen, you know, we're, <laughs> we've sold cannabis. We, we, we've played in this sandbox, and we know that there are rules, and, um, you know, you can trust us. Uh, so there's definitely a fair amount of those. I don't know ultimately who will win. I think probably there'll be some desire by the people making the decision to to somewhat split the baby, you know, let's let's bring in some people who've done this before, at least in other states or or in Alabama, uh, and also some desire to have some uh, homegrown Alabamian, um, you know, folks who who haven't necessarily done this before, uh, but uh, they're local. You know, have the wherewithal and capital to do it. Right, 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 right. It'll be interesting to see. That's for sure. <laughs> um, uh, and it also is going to be a dynamic for those that are hempsters and growing hemp about the difference of your Department of Agriculture looking over your shoulder and the Department of Health looking over your shoulder. That's a, that's another uh, another credit to bring to the to the party. Okay, uh, which will be uh, interesting for them all to see. So that's great. Look, we always love getting insight from you guys and and take and getting your take. Uh, for those that are interested to follow more of the thoughts of uh, not only uh, Hunter and Whip, but also some of their other colleagues at Bradley, you could go check their blog out at buddingtrends.com. And um, it's not just uh, hard legal stuff, okay, that might put you uh, to snooze a little bit. There's some uh, insight and some some uh, uh, brevity and levity that are involved in some of those posts and things that they do that certainly make it a, an easy read uh, as well as an interesting read at the same time. And if if you would like to know more about the Cannabis Law Group um, at Bradley, you can go back to bradley.com or you can just 
you know, do a search for uh, Bradley uh, Cannabis Group and you can get pulled right up to them each time. So, uh, uh, Hunter, thank you so much for, for yet another great episode. We appreciate it. Thanks, Nick. Thank you, Nick. And if you'd like to know more about the National Hemp Growers Cooperative, check us out at nationalhempcoop.us and learn about the good things that we're doing as well. Until next time, thanks. This podcast produced and distributed by MWB Studios.